there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. The topic of our show today is resilience, the quality that allows some people to be knocked down and come back, to change course after adversity, emotionally heal, and continue moving towards their goals. And this quality played as part in who I decided to marry. Sure, she was beautiful and smart and could cook, but her family was also important. Not that they were wealthy by any means, but that they lived well because they were resilient. Dadia's parents survived World War II growing up in Ukraine, dealing with the privations of war and bloodthirsty political parties at each other's throats. Heck, her dad even had a tattoo on his arm from a camp that he was put into, and her mom narrowly escaped firing squads. And they met later in France and began a new life together on the other side of the world here in the United States. I'm glad they did, because our guests today would not be here if they hadn't been so resilient. With me are my wife, Dadia my daughter, Tess Cassidy, and her children, Gigi and Vanka. Tess is an accomplished wedding photographer and artist, and she recently painted the new oratory of St. Mary Magdalene over in Fort Wayne and teaches art at Trinity School at Greenlawn. Gigi is a first grader, and Vanki is a preschooler over at St. Matthew's Cathedral School, and they're both brand new members of the Irish Youth Hockey League. Now, Dottie and I have been married for 39 years and have six children and seven grandchildren. And we met during junior year at the University of Michigan, where she was also a cheerleader. Now, hon, I was struck by what you considered to be my most memorable and desirable trait after our first meeting. Was it my car that got your attention? Well, I hadn't seen your car yet. That might have been the trait. But (laughs) at the time, uh, I think what struck me most is you said you were Catholic and the oldest of nine children. And I really never thought that was important to me at the time. But afterwards, I realized how important that was. Now, that's interesting because it's the same faith that supported your family's resilience that I admired so much. For example, you once told me that your folks lived in a cardboard box and somebody's attic when they first moved here. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not too far from the truth. Do you remember that? Well, no, it wasn't a cardboard box. My mother actually made a room out of cardboard in her home. She needed an extra room. So she she saved cardboard boxes from the grocery store and actually made a room of the attic with cardboard. Gotta love that. <laughs> and then there was another time when they had no money to pay the dentist. And so your mother gave the dentist a shirt, but it wasn't any ordinary shirt. It was a Ukrainian embroidered shirt. Now, Tess, you've studied art. Heck, you even had a chance to do so in Rome. How would you describe the distinctiveness of Ukrainian decorative art compared to other styles? I guess I would I would call it very geometric. It's kind of reminiscent, I think, of Native American art in that sense. Rows of geometric art, very colorful, warm colors juxtaposed with black. But I would say very it's it's very precise in terms of embroidery. It's very per- perfectionist 
and symmetric. So yeah, geometric, colorful. And distinctive. You know what you're looking at. You know when you see it. Now, one one of the reasons for the popularity of embroidery, or so I'm told, is that the men, the Cossacks, who were often traveling on horseback, had to travel light. So they decorated everything that they had you know, because they only had a few things to bring with them. Do you think Gigi and Vonky will ever decorate their hockey sticks? Uh, I think they kind of already have. Oh, they have. Oh, very good. <laughs> you can tape it in any color and any decoration pattern. And yeah, totally. They've uh, been there, done that. It's in the bloodstream. Okay, good. Good to know. You're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey. My guests today are my wife, Dadia, and daughter, Tess Cassidy, and her daughters, Gigi and Vanka. And we're discussing the role of tradition in building resiliency to weather times of adversity. Now, Dadia, the Ukrainian nation became a Christian nation over a thousand years ago, and it's helped them to survive very tough times. And more recently, the soul-killing systems of socialism and communism. And seeing these ideologies grow in our own country in recent days, has given me a greater appreciation for how strong your mom protected and followed her traditions. You know, I think she instinctively knew that by protecting the traditions, she was protecting us, you know, our relationships with God and one another. In other words, it was really a matter of survival. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And a lot of the Ukrainian traditions are intertwined with the church. So many of our holidays are religious holidays. So you're, you're carrying on the faith as well as everything else. Now, being the greatest of Christian feasts, Easter has a special place in Ukrainians' hearts. And to prove it, let me ask the experts. Gigi, what's your favorite part about Easter? My favorite part about Easter is when the bunny gives us all eggs and we wake up. Oh, very good. And Vanki, what's your favorite part about Easter? Eating the candy. (laughs) There you go. A couple of honest answers. Now, Jeej, I understand that you and Vanki just made some Easter eggs with Babcha. How did that go? Fun, and I love to make Easter eggs. And Vanki, do you remember making some Easter eggs with Babcha? Yeah. Did you like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to tell them that they're not your usual Easter eggs, though. They're not the usual ones, like the ones that you make. So what do you call Ukrainian Easter eggs, son? Pisanki. Yeah, Pisanki. I was going to say that, but I forgot. And and what are Pisanki? What makes them different? Pisinki, like a regular egg is white, but the one Easter egg is just made out of plastic. But the one that we make, like it's a real egg, but then you color with beeswax and yeah. So we have we start with a white egg, and we're using beeswax and and colored dye, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this is all about? It's a wax resist method. And many of the Americans have little uh, white crayons in some of their Easter egg kits that they use. And you draw an egg with a white crayon and then you dip it. And where the crayon is, the dye doesn't stick. Well, that's a very, very crude way of the way that we make eggs, which is we use beeswax. And what Gigi was trying to remember was kiska, which is kind of a fountain pen type thing that holds the beeswax. You can keep the beeswax hot and flowing. And wherever you draw on the egg, pisanka means to write, so you don't paint them, you draw them. And wherever you draw on the egg with the kiska, with the wax, it stays the color that it is when it's applied. So if you apply wax on a white egg through the process, wherever that wax is, the egg will remain white. And you dip and you write again and you dip in colors light to dark. And at the very end, you, what do you do? We melt the wax off yeah. and then all the colors come through. Oh, interesting. And Tess, how old were you when you started making Pisinki? Probably three weeks old. 
I'd be sitting on my mom's lap while she made them. So I consider that co-authorship for sure. I probably kicked her while she was making it. So that counts. Yeah. Well, you've gotten to be very good at it. And we still have a picture of mom with her mother when she was about two or three at the Flint International Fair dressed in her Ukrainian folk costume. And not just for show, but actually down and dirty making pisinki and making beautiful things right in front of people's eyes. When I made an Easter egg, I was six and I'm six right now. Mm. How old were you when you made your first egg? Two. Well, anyways, there are all kinds of design patterns, motifs, colors that are used, and it's all very symbolic. Heck, we use these things in our, in our offices as new client gifts. And they're really to give a pisanki is to give a symbolic gift of life. You know, the design, the motifs, and the colors have deep illustrative meaning with wishes of protection, fecundity, or love, and typically displayed prominently in a home. So, Han, I've I've been witnessing you just turning them out like nobody's business every night. And you have all kinds of different designs and things that you like to use. Which designs are you using these days and what's the meaning behind them? Well, we now have greeting cards that we use to portray a lot of the things we want to say to people. So I don't really dwell on colors and symbols for, for meaning right now. I kind of, I've been making these for over 60 years. So every year I want to come up with a new and different design, but it's hard to be creative every year, every year. So I think my favorites every year are the, the newer designs I come up with. Whatever's new that year, I feel like I, I like that year. Mm-hmm. But some of them are just, you know, they, these are written. It's like a signature. So everybody has their own style. And I think what's interesting is like some people are really good at one type of egg, you know, the, whether it's a design going around the egg or vertically the the other direction, um, or flowers, or swirls, or different things. So you just kind of gravitate toward the things that that you're that are easy for you, and that you know. But it's but it's like a signature. Everybody's mm-hmm. like you can tell. Like if I have a plate of eggs, I know which one of my daughters made which egg just by the way it looks. Like you would know their signature. Mm-hmm. So Tess, you've obviously were not only a quick learner, but you learned very thoroughly. You got very, very good at what you did and it seemed to be a, a springboard to other artistic endeavors. But how did you feel growing up? You had three older sisters who were kind of involved with making beautiful things too in one way or another. You had your mother, you had your, your babcha. I, I had a sense that you had a strong sense of piety in the sense that you knew the family that you came from. You're very proud of them. You had pictures in your house of everybody. Tell me a little bit about the world and being a part of a larger tradition through the eyes of a young girl. Yeah, I think that for me, I was blessed because the school we went to, Corpus Christi, really, I think, supported the sense of diversity and diverse backgrounds. I had a couple of friends growing up that were 100% particular nationalities, and they viewed their culture very, very highly, or they respected that from where they came and For me, I think that my mom instilled in me the importance of being Ukrainian and having a sense of pride and making pisinki and giving pisinki at Easter time was a really easy way to show that and to share it with other people and for people to appreciate that and take that part of being Ukrainian into their own home, whether they knew it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that being Ukrainian means many things to me, but sharing the art form that somehow overlaps with American traditions like Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. But again, I think growing up with friends that had very strong sense of pride in their own 
nationalities was really important. And it was just very comfortable for me to then share my own and also kind of use it as a competition that my nationality is cooler than your nationality because <laughs> okay. they don't have Easter eggs. So I think a lot of it's competition, also having three older sisters, making Easter eggs, being younger doesn't make me less competent because it's just an Easter egg. So mm -hmm. I could compete with them that way. Mm -hmm. So maybe competition. Speaking of competition, so Gigi and Vanki, so when you make eggs, I'm sure you probably say to one another, my egg is better than yours, something like that. But I want to know, if you were to make your most favorite Easter egg, Gigi, what colors would you use? Red, yellow, pink, blue, green, purple, teal, white. That's and the point. interesting thing is that she could actually put all those colors on a Ukrainian egg. And then when it's all done, hun, you mentioned taking the wax off, but you do that how? You melt it off. Um, the way we do it is with a candle. We just put the egg up to the candle and little by little melt the wax off and wipe it off with a tissue. Yeah. Some people mm -hmm. put them in the oven at a very low temperature. Mm -hmm. And Vanki, if you were to make your, your favorite egg, what colors would you make? What animals would you put on your egg? I put cats and foxes. Foxes and cats? Deep symbolism. I would put on a panda, unicorn, giraffe, and a hippogriff. <laughs> okay. don't know if that's a traditional animal. Honey, what are some of the traditional animals and what do they symbolize? Well, fish represent Christianity. And I think for the most part, animals, because... People were farmers in, in old, you know, old, in old days. prosperity. What are some of the colors? What do they mean to us? Well, I always like to make black eggs growing up, but that symbolizes death. So I tend to. Oh, that was for Good Friday. <laughs> yeah. Black is the darkest hours before dawn. Oh, very nice. So it's nice. a little bit, it's like, oh, like the resurrection, right? Well, black also is a nice color because it does let the other colors pop and kind of the contrast between the light and the dark is mm -hmm. sometimes what you're looking for. And it's very traditional because you, ha you, you have the darkest colors last. So black actually is. Oh, so you start with the lighter colors. Okay, very good. So Bapcha has all of these jars of dyes. She must have 24 of them out of all these different shades of different colors. Right, hon? About 24? Maybe more. more. Probably more. <laughs> it's amazing. I bet you Tess has got more. She's, she said can, she's got about 100. Yeah, you can tell Tess is the competitive one. She's going to outdo all Bapchas. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you're listening to The Sandwich Generation, a production of Spoke Street Media. And with me is my lovely wife, Dadia my beautiful daughter, Tess, and two of her beautiful daughters, Gigi and Ivanka. And we're talking about Easter traditions and how they enrich our lives. And Tess, do you remember the Easter greeting? Christos vos cres. Christos vos cres. And we sing that a whole bunch of times during the Mass, the Easter liturgy. And Ivanka, do you remember ringing bells at church? Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that fun? Yeah. <laughs> and Tess, what else do you remember about the Ukrainian Easters that you like besides the Pisanki themselves? Do you want the good things and you, the bad things? Everything. All right. Ukrainians are very hardcore when it comes to fasting. So the fast during the Triduum is not just a meatless, easy Western fast. It's a vegan fast. It's basically nothing. You can't even eat bread if it has milk in it or eggs. So water and... I don't know, Mom. What did you feed us? <laughs> anyway, so I would say those those traditions were really, they, they made a big impression on me. I think the Easter baskets are fascinating. Yeah, what role did the Easter baskets play? 
it's the blessed food that we eat on the day of the resurrection. So you have different things that you would eat. You have the pasca, which is your bread. Easter bread. So that's, Easter an, bread. A, that's a, an extraordinary piece of work, too, that's decorative in its own yes, right. It, that's very decorative, and you can do it very many different ways. It's, there's no one standard. There's a lot of varieties, probably depending on what part of Ukraine you came from. You have the sausages, the hams, because there's a lot of meat in the Easter basket because of Lent being meatless. The eggs are in there. And you have cheese and horseradish, and there's always a candle in there. And do we bring the Easter basket to church? Yes. Where do we put them during Mass? On the ground. Yeah, right up front, right around the altar, right? Yes. And then the priest blesses it, and then we take the food home, and we get to eat blessed food, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I love eating blessed food. Now, honey, the highlight or what really kicks it all off on Easter morning is, of course, going to Mass and getting the Easter basket blessed. But the fast really ends with a bang when you pass around the blessed egg. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, there's always one egg in the Easter basket that's hard-boiled. And usually just left white, maybe just a little bit of the shell taken off so that when it gets blessed, the flesh gets blessed. And we start off Easter brunch. That egg is cut into as many pieces as there are people around the table. And the the master of the house usually begins with the greeting, Christ is risen. And the receiver replies with, he truly has, and takes a piece of the egg and then repeats that to the person next to him until the plate travels all around the table and the egg has been shared by everyone. And then everybody jumps in. And Tess, what's your favorite part of that meal? The smoked sausage, for sure. (laughs) 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 Unfortunately, it's embarrassing. But uh, actually, the hard-boiled egg, when you get a tiny little piece, just it's probably the best hard-boiled egg. We always laugh. It's just because it's blessed. It tastes differently than than most. But yeah, I'd say the the meats, definitely the, the smoked meats. And for some of us guys, we love the homemade horseradish, Mm. lathering it all on on everything we find. Well, needless to say, although Tess has excelled arguably better than anybody else has in creating Pissinki, but her brothers and sisters are all pretty accomplished too. And in fact, Dottie, you're telling me our son John is uh, taking to it in, in in a way that he never has in the past. Well, the boys in particular didn't really take to the Easter egg making. It it took too long. They didn't have the patience for it, except for Michael, who would always make a Michigan egg if they made it into the Elite Eight every year (laughs) (laughs) for March Madness. So I still have a few of those around. We might be making one again this year. We'll see. But now that they're older and starting to, you know, live adult lives, for instance, John has a, a, a girlfriend that he is making Easter eggs. He's in Nashville. So he's down there. He called me up. I had to send him all the supplies. He went out and got everything, made the dyes and stuff, and they're making Easter eggs. They usually have competitions, too, just like our kids did, but they're, they're doing that this evening. So they do carry on those traditions, even though they don't do them when they're young. They, they start coming back and mean something to them when they start thinking about their own families. Mm, very good. Makes their, everybody's life a whole lot richer. So if you're going through a tough time, whether it's COVID-related or anything else, keep your eyes on the things that are above and build them into your life and into the life of your family. And if you do, you'll not be disappointed. Heck, one might even increase your kids' chances of finding that special someone. And grandchildren are a great reward for passing on the traditions of faith 
and creating the resiliency that will keep everyone together as they face the unknown future. And remember the old saying, dad makes a living, but mom makes life worth living. Thanks for all that you do, ladies, and for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Granddaddy. Happy Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter, everybody. And if some of you would like to actually see Dadia and Tess make these eggs live and even perhaps buy little Easter gifts for your loved ones this year, uh, you're able to do so. They've become fixtures over at the farmer's market, but not this year because of the COVID. But you can come to Godfrey Law Offices and watch them at work and perhaps take a look at what they have to offer and buy something if you'd like. Godfrey Law Offices is located on Edison Road, just west of Ironwood, before Notre Dame on the north side of the street, 2025 Edison Road. And the ladies will be there Wednesday of Holy Week from 4 to 7 and on Holy Saturday from 10 to 2. So I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation where we are better because of each other. And I look forward to being with you the next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And for a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to redeemerradio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.